Thanks for joining us today. If you enjoy hearing stories of persons with lived experience and would like to support our efforts, join our Patreon team. In addition to exclusive benefits, you will also be listed as an anti-trafficking advocate on each episode of our podcast. Dixie and I are so excited to give a shout out to Willie P and to share his message that he is excited to be an anti-trafficking advocate as one of our um, premium membership patrons. If you would like to learn more about how you can have your name shouted out as one of our anti-trafficking advocates, visit patreon.com forward slash bring freedom org in order to join the fight and to help us get uh, anti-trafficking education materials into classrooms around the United States. Welcome to the Persons with Lived Experience podcast, inspiring stories for unprecedented times with Dixie and Zona. So when I did decide I'd had enough, I knew, right? I knew I was loved. And it is such a powerful thing. I mean, I, and I end every episode with telling people to tell the people that are addicted in their life, send a message, tell them they are loved because that little glimmer of hope just might be the thing that, that brings them back. So... Yeah, oh my God, she'd kill me if I didn't mention that. This podcast contains content that may be alarming to some listeners. Please check the show notes for more detailed descriptions and take precautions for yourself. Thank you. I'm Dixie, and I'm all about joy, justice, and fair trade fashion. I'm an anti-trafficking advocate, a mom of many, and passionate worshiper. And I'm Zona. I'm a writer, a speaker, a person with lived experience of homelessness and human trafficking, a tiny house enthusiast, and a serial foodie. <laughs> um, with us today, we have Chuck LaFlanche. He is an addict in recovery after 30 years in active addiction. He started the Dopey Canuck podcast in an effort to raise awareness, but was unsure of the direction. Now, with a clear vision in mind, the podcast has evolved into helping to humanize the people lost to addiction in an effort to help the masses understand that each and every one of the people lost to overdose and addiction were real people that loved and were loved. Through those efforts, he also tries to reach out to the loved ones of addicts to offer some respite from the natural feeling of guilt that comes with being close to someone suffering from the disease. Welcome Chuck, we're so glad you're here today. Thank you for having me, I appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, well, we are excited to hear your story and just kind of have you share kind of your lived experience. So how did this kind of all get started? My story starts with me leaving home at around 14 years old. And um, some of the insane situations that have happened since. Uh, it, it's, that's not to say that my whole life was spent in, you know, crazy active addiction. I've had some some bouts of clarity or lucidity, however you want to call it. Uh, I've been an entrepreneur. I've been a husband. I've been a father. I've been all of those things. But the the predominant theme in my life has been addiction. And 
um, like so many others, I started with, with drinking and, and smoking weed and, um, you know, of course in my late teens, um, as a young adult, I, I moved on to cocaine and then, um, crack and then back to cocaine, <laughs> uh, and then to crack and then ultimately to, to, to meth as well. I, for years and years, I, I, I was never, I, I sold drugs to pay for my habits, I guess. I, I was never really the thief. Not that I was a great person and it doesn't give me any moral high ground to say the least, but um, I, I sold drugs and, and I did so with relatively little hassle. I never, I, I stopped going to jail when I, when I stopped stealing and started selling drugs at 18. And, you know, it was, it was 20 years before I, or more than 20 years, 23 years before I saw the inside of a cell again. Um, never any real violence, nothing of the sort. And then, um, about five years ago now, uh, the violence really started to kick in and so about four years ago, I guess it was after I was arrested with the uh, significant amounts of fentanyl, um, which I guess I could tell that part of the story quickly too. I was quitting. I was, I was getting out of the, the game, if you want to call it that. And I had sold my phone, my business, my drug business for a significant amount of money. And without getting into all the details and it's, it tends to glamorize things, I was taking the last payment um, and uh, for the phone. And it, the original deal was I was to wait and get a, you know, a per sale kind of amount until, until the balance had been paid. And the guy buying it made me an offer to give me a, a pile of fentanyl, like a lot. Wow. Um, instead, and it was a drug that I was never really into. It was just something to me, it was death. I never wanted anything to do with it, but I saw this opportunity to get out fast and be done with the business. And the, the guy's, um, employee, I guess, gave me the, gave me the drugs and five minutes, not even two minutes later, I was busted with, oh. um, on my way to go drop them off and be done. So I was quite literally 20 minutes away from retirement. And I was caught with enough that I was looking at four to eight years in, in jail. And it was, it was like something out of a movie. It really was. Yeah. It was, it was, it was horrible. Um, and then when I got out of jail, uh, after I, I was 30 days before I managed to get bail. And when I got out, I had nothing, like absolutely nothing left. Mm -hmm. My, my partner at the time had let her addiction, you know, she, she took all the money I had had put away significant amount. My family didn't want anything to do with me because I just put their name in the paper for such an awful thing. And I, I had nothing. And then it was then that I went from being a functional addict to being a complete train wreck of a human being. And over the next two years, two and a half years, two years, really, the violence that I experienced um, because the situations I, I allowed myself to be in, it, extreme at a level that I couldn't really talk about it now. Right. Yeah. Um, it brings up some pretty shitty memories to say the least. Um, yeah. mm -hmm. I, I knew I was going to die a few times in there. I was, I was kidnapped. I was tortured at one point, the most recent event and it's forever changed me. So in the end, that was my final push, I guess, you know, no, that, that wasn't my father died in October. Mm -hmm. and it was yeah. and that I decided that I would, I was had enough. Right. So I came back to the city where I'm at now, where, where I'd grown up and I've been here since I, so I got away from that, from, from where I was and all those reminders and the people and the insanity. And it's funny because they just, 
I still get messages. I've changed all my information and I still get messages from people looking and looking to sell and looking to buy drugs. And it's just like, go away. Right. <laughs> like I'm trying to do yeah. something here. So a couple months ago I started, um, I should say when I took my first kick at sobriety just over a year ago, um, about 15 months now, um, I had started a blog just kind of at random and I called it recovery of LaFlange. And, uh, it was, it was about my, my recovery and just every day I would get up and I'd blog and I'd share this experience. And I got this huge following like super fast. It was like really weird. It was like 7,000 views on my day five. I don't know how, you know, it's just on, on a Facebook blog, some luck in there. Obviously I'm not that talented, but talented of a guy. And this time around, um, there's some things that happened with that. I was keeping my sober counts with, with everybody, which is a big part of most 12 step programs, right? Is counting your days and, and taking a lot of pride in those, those keychains. They used to be chips and other keychains mm -hmm. and making my public, making my count public, mm -hmm. um, put a lot of pressure on me in the end. At first I took a lot of pride and in the end I felt that that had a lot to do with my, my ultimate relapse. Mm -hmm. So this time around, um, I decided not to blog and there's some other things with some, with some family and stuff that it really just kind of turned me off the idea. And then my mother one day said, why don't podcasting? Why don't you take a look at that? And I kind of started, yeah, we'll take a look. But at the time I was still in a really crazy situation, it, though sober, I was living in this house where a bunch of people were not. And it was really adding to my PTSD, which I have a pretty acute case of now. So she had suggested that I do this and kind of planted a seed. And then I moved out of that situation into a much better one. And it started out with me telling these crazy stories and they're funny. Like it, it, just by nature, it's, you know, I, I like to make people laugh at some of the stories I've been telling for 20 years. So they're just nuts. And it, it, honestly, I don't think they'd be appropriate for you ladies, but they're, you know, they're, <laughs> they are, they are on the show and they're my original, you know, my first, my first five episodes were all funny stories. And then the odd numbers up until about episode 20 were all funny stories. Right. And then I kind of found my vision. Um, and what had happened was episode 18, um, I decided, because we were coming up on the one-year anniversary, a cousin who was more like a sister. Sorry. No, it's fine. Um, These are passed. real life stories. So. She, uh, we were coming up the one-year anniversary of her overdose. Mm -hmm. And she had had 11 months clean and lost the battle to keep her children. After 11 months of being clean, she lost that battle. All five of the kids, zero contact, not even by phone. And the loss was too much for her. Yeah. So, um, she relapsed and she was found dead in a bathroom, you know, alone in a bathroom uh, a couple months later. So, um, I'm so sorry. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Thank you. So my mom had, and again, she was more like a sister than a cousin because her mom, and we had lost her brother about five years previous to that to overdose as well. Oh, it's, it's a serious thing. The opioid crisis is so much more than people taking pills. And now it's it, the whole landscape has changed so much. This podcast is sponsored by Bring Freedom. To learn more about how to prevent and end human trafficking in your own community, please visit bringfreedom.org and join our partnership program. Bring Freedom's live anti-trafficking equipping event is coming up 
March 30th through April 1st. Sign up for the Vision and Intention Challenge today. You don't want to miss this. Anyway, episode 18, I did a memorial episode for her, and it was on a Monday, so I called it Memorial Monday and thought, hey, this could make kind of a cool weekly feature. And it has, it has turned out to be like, we've, we've just done our fifth now. Um, it airs, it airs here tomorrow morning. And I am like, it's just turned into this thing now with this massive following and it just, it keeps snowballing because we're humanizing people and, and we're getting to show the world, you know, the mother, the sister, the cousin, the friend, all of that. Yeah. Right. So um, it's turned into quite the thing. Uh, I'm really proud of it now. Um, it's, it's that's not the whole week because we do do a monday to friday mm -hmm. the week kind of springboards from that and, and now i've gotten some really cool guests on and stuff too but the message is is a powerful one and and i believe the only way we're ever going to do anything about this and it's it's horrible there's seven thousand people in canada mm -hmm. uh, so that's 20 people a day One hundred thirty-seven thousand people from 20 to 21 in the u.s died of overdose of, of opioid overdose that does not include of the violence that it's not include the other drugs that it's not the depression the suicides you know you can hit a quarter million people across the two countries really fast yeah. right so that's an epidemic yeah. you know like that that is an epidemic yeah. and there is no end to it and that's not to take away from the seriousness of something like covid but at least you know that there was like an ebb and flow and then it kind of you know it's tapering off kind of i guess it depends on the news but this is still getting worse this isn't getting yeah. any better right and right. And the landscape, not just the deaths, that the scene has changed so much. I went 20 years of being in the drug in game. Not once was I worried about being robbed or being in some sort of trouble, you know. In two years, it became absolutely normal to have it. It became, and, and to go through some of the crazy things I went through. And there's a perfect storm of things that happened there. And and I imagine the salad, that well versed in the world but i shouldn't make assumptions and even if you are if you've been sober for more than five years you have no idea what's going on in the world right now um yeah. and, and it's really hard to relate to people that have been sober for more than five years because you have mm -hmm. fentanyl which has become unbelievably cheap when i got busted yes. three years ago the price is now 20 25 of what it was then right so wow. in, in, oh, wow. and it, it's crazy it's it's so cheap and it's become so mainstream. And when people are addicted to opioids, they get dope sick. And I don't know, I don't presume to, to know anything about either one of you in your histories that way. But I don't know if you've ever seen somebody dope sick, it's a horrible, horrible thing to see. Yes. And their brain will tell them to do absolutely anything to get yes. it. So now you have a drug that people will do anything for, literally anything for. And you mix it with meth, the drug that keeps them awake for two weeks at a time doing it. Right. So that level of violence now, it's a perfect storm. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's crazy that the things that are happening and like, I just, I couldn't believe it that after 20 years that all of a sudden this was my new reality and it just, things got really bad. So I kind of bounced around there a little bit. <laughs> I tend to do that. <laughs> I can edit myself usually too. Right. So, um, so now I, I try really hard to make people understand, um, that, you know, through to humanize people, mm -hmm. um, the only way we're going to get meaningful um meaningful awareness meaningful awareness can lead to meaningful action and getting people to acknowledge it is one thing and i think there's a lot of people doing that but getting people to do something about it that doesn't happen until the politicians give a shit 
you know, and until until there's a motive for the population or for the politicians to care. Yeah. And and that the only way that's going to happen is if we get meaningful awareness and people going, hey, wait a minute. Right. These people are sisters and sons and brothers and cousins and aunts and uncles and moms. And, you know, so um, that that part's really important to me. And then the other part is to be the loved one of an addict is hell. Right. Like I can't. Um, episode 10, I did one I dedicated to my mom. And, and the, the, the idea of it basically being that the loved one of an addict is a conscript, conscripted soldier in this battle. Right. And yeah. they don't even get to get high. Right. They just get all the mm -hmm. shitty stuff that comes along with being a part of that, that fight. Right. So yeah. um, trying to help people to understand that an addict doesn't choose the drug over their kids or over their family. That choice isn't even put in front of them. That choice is in another room somewhere. And the odd time you pull your head out of your butt long enough to look at it, the shame and guilt kicks you right back out of that room and back over to the addiction side. And the demons that are addiction are cunning and unrelenting, right? So um, they'll keep that boot on your neck as long as they possibly can. So the guilt, I can only imagine, that comes from a mother whose kid is in addiction, you know? I try and give them a little bit of relief from that and help them understand that it's it's not about something they've done or have not done. It's about, you know, it's about the disease and, and what it's doing to that person. So that's uh that's the gist of that anyway, right? So mm -hmm. sure. now I'm sober. I've been reconnected with all of my friends from 20 years ago who I haven't seen in 20 years, and they've all accepted with open arms. They've it's just it's just the most amazing feeling, right? I've got people in my life that I thought it long written me off another side effect of the of addiction right yeah. the, your self-worth goes to nothing mm -hmm. and you think people think you're a bit a piece of shit and you're not right and they know you're not and not once have i been confronted with hey man i don't want you in my life every single time you know so it's it's been quite the opposite so it's been it's it's quite the journey here and it's it's been great and, and being able to spread the message and and make a humble living hopefully sometime soon here i'm sure as you well know this is not a lucrative venture when you first get started yeah. for sure right, <laughs> right. um it, it's it's pretty rewarding though just to be able to spread that message so yeah absolutely very much so mm -hmm. um so i did notice that in uh part of your history it said that you had been homeless as well yeah so for about the last two years um i until i i came back in here I was, I was homeless for the most part. There's couch surfing. Like homeless doesn't necessarily mean in a box in an alley. Well, especially up here in Canada, it really doesn't mean a box in an alley. It's too cold for that. Right? Um, but I, I, a lot of couch surfing, never really having my own place, never feeling comfortable. And that's, that's an awful feeling too. Um, right. People are being generous and opening up their home to you, but it's like, I really just want to play somewhere of my own, right? <laughs> you know, and as much as you appreciate the help, it kind of sucks. So, you know, but, yeah. uh, for about two years, that's been, until you've had to steal or starve is something that I say it's, it's something I was going to get on the inside of my my tattoo I never got around to but until you've been there you just you know that what you're willing to do and, and who you are as a person you don't know right you just don't know so now I, I've had a soft spot for addicts of course because I'm self-introspective enough to, to, that throughout addiction that you know I've, I've really thought about that but homeless people, I got I got a pretty big soft spot for them, right? So, you know, you buy a cup of coffee or just give them the time of day and, and I talk to them. But you can't judge. You just don't know everybody's story, right? So, right. yeah. Well, and I think with a lot of things that are going on in the world, it's not the same scenario that it was, you know, 
60 years ago where somebody could walk into a job and get hired on the spot and, you know, get somebody to rent them an apartment and go, yeah, I'll get you in two weeks when I get my first paycheck. Like that just isn't the world. Most certainly not. Right. Just to get started. Right. Just to get, just to get started is this almost, it's a trip to Mars. You know, for example, when I came to this province for my last, of course, I'd been homeless. I, I didn't have ID. I didn't. I had a an online bank debit card with my name on it, and that was it. Right. And my birth name was different than the name I grew up with because my mom remarried, but never legally changed my name. To get ID, well, it proved to be impossible. It actually proved to be impossible. I've been known as the same last name for forty years. And I couldn't get a piece of ID. The only way to do it was to get a legal name change. As I'm talking to the government representative when I called the helpline, I said, legal name change? I've been homeless for two years. You know, legal, that's a trip to Mars. How am I supposed to do that? Right? Like, so something as simple as ID, because you can't do anything without ID. You can't get social services without ID. You can't get healthcare without ID. And I'm a pretty resourceful, intelligent person with some support. I could not do it. I ended up having to go back to my birth name. So I now have a new last name. Right. That's, that's how that story ends. Right. Um, because it was the only way to do it. It was the only way to do it. And I'm resourceful and I've got support. I can't imagine for somebody who's like really suffering from some mental illness or has just given up or the, the addictions. How do you ever get out of that rut? You know, it's, 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 the system is not set up to succeed for people in that position anyway. So, um, it's really, I've, I've, there's about 10 causes I wish I could give all of my time to. And that's certainly one of them. Right? Yeah. Um, uh, the biggest one, though, the one that I feel I can make the most difference is, you know, raising meaningful awareness about addiction and, and all of that. Yeah. So, yeah. Right. Well, I think that these injustices oftentimes go hand in hand. And that's why we have our podcast is like, you know, all these are connected. Absolutely. They are. Absolutely. Are, you know, you've, I, I've noticed in, I, I, I confess, I haven't listened to all your episodes. I, I listened to a couple in the human trafficking is kind of a, a theme, right? A, a reoccurring theme. That's got everything to do with drugs are a big part of that. <laughs> a huge part of that addiction. And I imagine, and I don't profess to know anything about that really, but I imagine a lot of that is some forced addiction as well, right? That, that yeah. would go along with that. But, you know, um, that, right. that whole seedy underbelly and um, people, most people, most people are inherently good, but the few evil people that are out there can sure turn some people into seemingly they're not anyway, I guess. I'm, I'm not sure how to word that exactly, but yeah. Right, so. that's true. Mm-hmm. But I, I think also it's, it's one of those pieces where, you know, like you were talking about in the throes of addiction, what you're hearing in your brain, what your body is telling you, you know, do anything, do anything yeah. to fix this. And, and I think that's the place on both sides, you know, like recovering from addiction and uh, trying to get out of human trafficking that, you know, people who have never been in a situation like that are not understanding the sheer amount of what has to be overcome. Right. That 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 internal battle, right. Yeah. You know, and they're like, well, just get out or just leave or just don't do it anymore. Just don't, uh, I, I can speak to just for a second. Right? Yeah. So with my PTSD, um, the just, just the way you just said all those things, just do this, just do that. And 
I'll be blunt, right? It got to a point where I said to a very close family member, you can just F off with that because you <laughs> don't know. Because you don't know. There is no such thing as just, right? Yeah. At one point, not that long after addiction, I could, since I've been clean, I found myself in this horrible place. I had to, I, I couldn't leave my room for two days. I literally had to pee in a cup and dump it out the window. And don't tell me I just have to do anything when I can't just go to the freaking bathroom, right? Okay. So in in a situation, in, in a human trafficking situation, or, oh my God, I can't imagine. I can't imagine what, the, what that would take to, to, to break that cycle from within. I just, I can't imagine, you know? So um, one of the smartest things anybody has ever said to me about, about the trauma was, I don't get it and I don't, I never will get it. Right. And it's like, no, you won't. And thank you for saying as much. Right. And this was somebody who suffers from PTSD, who understood enough to say that, even though, you know, I've been through something similar, I don't know what's going on in your head and I'm not going to pretend to. Right. Yeah. And then those, those are the smartest people I've known. Right. <laughs> people that don't know. Right. So. Right. I think that's, yeah, it's a, it's a big deal. It's a big yeah. deal. It really is. And some of those wording things can alienate the very people that you love and the very people that you're really wanting to help, you know, yeah. and it might seem so clear to you, but to them, it's like, here, cross this ocean. Yeah. Right. Cross, <laughs> cross this ocean. It's, it's totally fine. I mean, I don't understand why it would be hard. So you know how to swim, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, so I, I really do. I appreciate you uh, sharing your story and being willing to, um, to, to talk about the other side of it. And uh, I am curious, like, what made you start uh, sharing the stories from the um, loved ones side? Um, I knew when I started the podcast that I wanted, again, like I, I wanted to raise awareness, but it wasn't until I heard, and again, my mother, what had happened was she had written, when, when my cousin Jesse died a year ago, she had written this this post on, on a massive Facebook group and, and posted it to a Facebook group, kind of a, a tribute to Jesse. And one day, randomly, you know, um, I said, hey, mom, would you read that on air? I wanted to read it, and actually I tried, and I couldn't get through it. I just... Yeah turned into a bloody mess every time and I asked her if she would read it on air and and she did and it was so hard-hitting and so powerful and instantly it's like a, a huge hit for an episode mm -hmm. and then I really got to thinking about it and unfortunately I don't have to branch out unfortunately the list of people that I know is long enough to keep me going for months and by the time I got to the end of that list there would be a bunch more in the queue mm -hmm. that that is the reality um, but I, that's not good enough. That's not going to raise awareness. That's not going to get the message out. That's, that's mm -hmm. kind of keeping to my circle and, and incrementally getting it out there. So I started asking listeners for them and four out of five so far I've known personally, um, which is just crazy to like, it's just crazy. Four out of five of the, of the, of the ones that we've done, I've known personally, the one that airs tomorrow or on Monday, I apologize. Um, I hadn't seen her so, like she died in 95 and I hadn't seen her for some years before that since we were team like grade school really um, but her brother and I have since reconnected and he's yeah, turns out he's taken that trauma he went through all of the same hell 
and has come back and is now really a leader in the uh, in the outreach community in where he is. So he's he's kind of taken that and, and moved on to some next level. So we call him the captain. He's going to be on uh, tomorrow or, or on Tuesday's episode as well, and then as a reoccurring thing over. There. But I just found the power in that, and for a sister to do that for her brother, for a mother to do that for her son. If I'm in a position to offer a little bit of comforts and, and saying, Hey, maybe, maybe it didn't, it wasn't for naught. Maybe, maybe we can get, you know, some good out of this, then I'm obligated to do as much. Right. So that's the way I look at it. You know, I spent my whole life not being a great person. So I, I owe the world a little bit. Right? And I got some penance to pay and this is how I'm choosing to pay it. Well, you're you're lucky. You have life left to do that. Right, right. You know, I, not that much. So I got to tell you, I got old somewhere throughout <laughs> all this addiction and craziness. I got old. I don't know when it exactly it happened, but uh-huh. you know, when I get up out of this chair, I'm going to feel it. So, <laughs> just, yeah. I hear that. Yeah, it's <laughs> definitely yeah, that's definitely a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but we want people to know, like, how do they how do they connect with your podcast? Um, we're on all the major platforms, uh, of course, uh, the Apples, the Spotify's, the whatever, all of them. Um, we also got the website at dopeyconnect.com or .ca. They both take you to the same place. And um, you can listen to all the websites there. Of course, there's some swag in there you can check out as well, some cool hats. Um, I, oh, the You Are Loved. Ah, my mother would kill me if she knew I didn't say that. So I'm going to back this up. You can edit this in. You can do whatever you want with it. My mom for the last, um, like when I came in for my first bout of recovery, you know, those, those 15 months ago. And then, you know, I went back out to relapse or whatever. Randomly, she would send me these texts. You are loved. Any conversation that I might've actually had with her, regardless of how out to lunch it was, would always end with you are loved. Mm-hmm. And at the time that never really hit me. Um, it didn't do anything extra for me, but what it did was it planted the seed. So when I did decide I'd had enough, I knew, right? I knew I was loved. And it is such a powerful thing. I mean, I, and I end every episode with telling people to tell the people that are addicted in their life, send a message, tell them they are loved because that little glimmer of hope just might be the thing that, that brings them back. So yeah, oh my God, she'd kill me if I didn't mention that. So in, in the logo, it's got, you know, don't be on a podcast, you are loved in that text, text bubble. That's what it's there for. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's what it means. I give my mom all the credit in the world. So with the apparel, I have a, the You Are Loved collection where we have that text balloon in on every single piece somewhere, right? Yeah. And and it just, it means so much. And to me, it's a reminder just to let people know. And hands down, there's always somebody trying to talk sense to you when you're all messed up. Right. Yeah. By far the most effective strategy on me mm-hmm. was, was that You Are Loved message, right? Because I just knew I was. When it was time, when I'd had enough, I, I knew I was, right? So... Um, oh dear, she'd kill me if I didn't mention that. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> right. She'd probably end the subject with you are loved, but actually be secretly pissed off at me. So <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So well, she sounds amazing. Yeah, she really is. She really is. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, wonderful. So, and then the other thing I was going to ask: so if somebody that's listening today has. Um, a story that they would like to share for the the Monday. Oh, okay. That's by all means, please do. Um, Dopey at gmail.com. And uh, 
Canuck, Canuck's a Canadian thing, so I, I don't know, right? C-A-N-U-C-K, so Dopey Canuck at gmail.com. You can also get me through the Facebook page, Dopey Canuck, Instagram, Dopey Canuck. Um, what are, oh, now I'm on TikTok too now, apparently. I just uh, <laughs> forced that the other day at dopeycanuck.podcast. And, um, and of course, yeah, well, all the social media is Dopey Canuck, right? And, and the website and my, and my email, dopeycanuck at gmail.com. So I'm pretty easy to find, pretty easy to find, yeah. Yeah, great. That's Thanks so much for being on the podcast and sharing your lived experience with us today. Thank you, ladies. I really do appreciate it. I do. Yeah. Okay. Bye. Thank you you for joining us for the Persons with Lived Experience podcast today. I hope you're enjoying season three of these inspiring stories for unprecedented times. Please share with your community so together we can make more ripples to create waves of change.